think I would start out by saying that change is inevitable, so you better be prepared for it. And I think that's yeah. one of the mindsets that I come into real estate with. And I think a lot of people look at change as a negative or scary, and it took a different mindset or it took kind of rethinking that mindset to look at change as always an opportunity. Hey, thanks everyone for being here. This is Michael Conrad with the Business of Homes podcast. And today uh, you're very fortunate to hear Zach Brickner with Parks, um, who is a close friend of mine and a great real estate agent. And he's got some really interesting things to share from, I think, a really interesting perspective that not a lot of people are capitalizing on these days. So Zach, thanks for being here. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Yeah, I uh, jumped into the real estate world. I, I have an environmental science degree. It has nothing to do with real estate, but that's not quite that important, really, when you kind of break it down. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone in real estate is using their degree. Yeah. Um, I have a theater arts degree. Um, but I think the background that people bring to the table is important. And maybe what sort of career you were in um, can oftentimes be a big benefit. So what were you doing before you got into real estate? Yeah. So before I got into real estate, I was coming, well, I came right out of college. So oh. I, I my jobs were lifeguard. I worked on a golf course, all things, <laughs> very I, useful, very useful. All things that I learned that I did not want to do as a full-time profession. I, it fun. I worked for a environmental consulting company at one point where I worked in the crawl spaces of houses. And when I would go in the main houses, I really wanted to be in that part of the house when I was yeah. on the job. So yeah. that's a little bit of where it came from. I do love a crawl space. <laughs> I um, do not. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay. So I, uh, you didn't have the experience. How are in, how was anyone letting you sell a home if you didn't have any experience? That's a great question. I think well, a lot of it starts from when I was born and raised in Nashville, so I'm still here 32 years later. Oh, I only wow. took a real unicorn Nashvilleian. A real unicorn. I'm only called wow. that like twice, two or three times a week. Okay. Uh, but yeah, born and raised in Nashville. I like to think of myself as a people person. I like to think of myself as an extroverted introvert. I recharged by being by myself, but I love the relationship aspect of things. And after, you know, talking to a couple mentors, really, they broke it down that real estate might make sense for me. The story that I think that you have to share that's maybe a little different than other folks in real estate is that you have embraced this uh, millennial mindset, sure. as well as really, that's kind of the buzzword, what's underneath it. And that is, Real estate's changing, business is changing, the world is changing, real estate flow and workflow and process mm -hmm. is changing and paradigm is changing, and I must change with it and maybe even be a spearhead, a leader in that change. And so, you know, real estate kind of hasn't changed a ton. Not as um, much as we think. I, I, would, I think I would start out by saying that change is inevitable, so you better be prepared for it. And I think that's yeah. one of the mindsets that I come into real estate with. And I think a lot of people look at change as a negative or scary, and it took a different mindset or it took kind of rethinking that mindset to look at change as always an opportunity. So mm -hmm. when change happens, when turnover happens, when the market goes up, when the market goes down, I always, and this took me years to figure out, but always look at it as a positive that I need to take advantage of. Mm. And one, I would say, even recent application of that is the COVID shutdown, the hmm. COVID shutdown changed so many, and I'm gonna kind of sh shift it into restaurants, changed so many operating kind of systems that they did, but the ones that changed on a dime or that were able to adapt to those changes pivot. so quickly, pivot, 
were incredibly successful. I yeah. was waiting in a 20-minute line outside of Rose Pepper Cantina because they were selling margaritas to go. Right. While there were other restaurants that were complaining that they were sh- shut down. Yeah. And I'm like, Rose Pepper stayed perfectly fine. It's yeah. still around. Those other restaurants. Shout maybe out not to Rose so Pepper. Much. Yes, exactly. A little East Nashville uh, Amazing. local. Yeah, I... I think that there is a moment of fear that strikes into the heart of every business person when big change happens, a market shift, a pandemic or whatever. Um, I have felt it. I can feel that feeling now um, just in my memory. But it's that moment between fear and then like pivoting into action. Mm -hmm. How long is that moment? How long is that moment? Because some people, it's short, some people, it's long. And the quicker you can make it, the better and more successful you're going to be. Yeah, and I think it always is dependent on what that moment, what we're dealing with, or what came at us. Um, my mother, I, I I will quote my mother a million times, but one thing she always said is, "You can never control what happens to you, but you can always control how you react." Totally. And it is a mental, it is a mindset that is once again, it's not easy. I don't want to act like the, the you know the soothsayer here and know exactly how I'm going to react to any scenario. But if I can remind myself of that, is it's all about how I react. I'm trying to get out of that kind of concerned mindset, change it into an intentional and positive one. And I think mm-hmm. your mindset is how, I mean, I'm sure you probably do mindset things every day to like get you in the right headspace to be successful. Um, that's one of the biggest things, because if you're negative or if you're not intentional and by accident, you probably aren't going to be successful or it'll be a lot more difficult. And I think mm-hmm. that's where you're just, where, like, where is that market inefficiency and where can I jump on that so that I'm solving a problem or I'm, I'm solving a pain point for somebody? You know, the mindset piece is something that I have actually put to the back burner for much of my career because I, I was sort of a naturally buoyant and optimistic person mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I needed mindset mindfulness or exercises or encouragement. Um, the entrepreneurial journey is full of ups and downs. And I had a lot of ups. In fairness, I want to call it out. I rode a good, it was a good wave. It was a good ride. And it was mostly up. And in the recent intervening years that have had big dips and downs and that pandemic sort of fear in all of us, and then really 22 being a kind of a, a nuts year where there was just a lot of market shift, a lot of up and down, yeah. um, that fear began to set in. And I started to realize, oh, you don't rise to necessarily the occasion, like they say, you sink to your training. And if you're not training yourself in mindfulness and in positive mindset shift, um, then it's not there when you really need it. And I, I kind of hate that that's true because I saw myself <laughs> as this sort of Enneagram 7, super buoyant, always yeah. positive. Enneagram and 7 here as well. I'm, yeah, buddy. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I was frustrated with myself, but frustrated with the external circumstance because there I was railing on Tony Robbins yeah. and his silly mindset, you know, I'm a dragon in the mirror exercises. But all of a sudden I was feeling like I really needed that mm-hmm. um, in those low moments. So yeah, yeah, that's been much more important than I thought. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's super important and it's not always easy. I think that's one of the biggest things I, I preach to my agents is like mindset and getting in the right headspace is not something that comes easy. It's not something that is inherent. It's an intentional thing. It's an intentional thing. And a lot of the agents are, I call them by accident agents, because they don't have a system and a process. Yeah. Because the system and process is so, like, that's why people use you. And that's why you can train yourself to do the same things, to be successful doing the same things. Um, but a lot of agents kind of wake up in the morning and what do I need to do today? Or what yeah. can I do today? Can I make some money today? Like, do I need to talk to somebody? But, you know, that doesn't 
that's not a replicable process that is successful, in my opinion. Yeah, someone uh, made this reference to a library of fires. Every day you just go, go to the library and which fire is on fire. Okay, let me deal with that. Um, I think that our listeners here to this podcast are going to start to hear um, themes over time as we repeat this idea of systems and automation mm -hmm. and um, commitment um, to time management. And so these are the, the things that ultimately make an entrepreneur really successful and really make a business person uh, survivable and sustainable mm -hmm. through the market shifts. Um, and so you're a broker now mm -hmm. and you are in a place of advice dispensing mm -hmm. and um, guiding others. And you have this really unique perspective being someone that has been in real estate for kind of a good number of years now, but you skew on the younger spectrum. And so what is one of the mindset shifts you bring uh, for this sort of like younger crowd, sort of millennial crowd um, to the table that has been great for your agents? Yeah. So I've been in it 10 years now and I can't believe wow. that. So I'm 32 years old, been in it 10 years. Um, it was a slog at the beginning. It was yeah. definitely a grind at three different jobs. Nobody like wants to have a 22-year-old sell their house. No, I can't <laughs> believe anybody trusted me at all to sell their house. Like, that's kind of terrifying. I wouldn't trust a 22-year-old today. Um, I think one of the biggest mindset changes for me, and I want to keep emphasizing this, that it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that you perfect on a day-to-day -day basis. I had a real shift in my business, and this is even before I became a broker, to remind myself that I am the CEO of my business, mm. to treat myself like the CEO of my business. Does a CEO of the business like empty the trash cans at their office? Probably not. They offload a lot of that work. And so my mindset, when I shifted to thinking across everything, does the CEO of the business meet one client at one house to do this? That's, that's a $10 per hour wage. Wow. I need to be doing 250, what is, what is my hourly wage? 200, $300, $500 per hour, I need to be writing contracts, I need to be showing houses, I need to be working with clients that make money. I think about that in every scenario that I possibly can is that I am the CEO, I make my hours. The CEO of Nike doesn't shake the hand of every single client that buys a pair of shoes. Hmm. The CEO of Nike does not you know, answer his phone at 8.30 p.m. to answer questions. Like what he has done is set a, a system in place that handles all of these things. And when he is needed, he does the high level thinking and he does the big money making, whether that's, you know, conversations, meetings, deals, but he does the, he's probably more on like the $20,000 per hour scale. Right. But I think that mindset shift and every, everyone can do it. It's whether you're going to be intentional or not intentional about it. It's super important. I have, I tell this to a lot of people. I don't take any meetings on Friday afternoons hmm. at all. Zero. Do I take phone calls? Do I do I do work? Sure. But I don't take a single meeting on Friday afternoons because that's my time. I tell each and every one of my clients and my agents that, so they all are aware of that. I have not lost a single client. I have not lost a single agent because of that. I tell them on the front end. They understand that that's my time. I work on weekends. So I need that time to like hang out with my family or you know go have a beer at lunch and not have to worry about the afternoon. Like that type of thing. <laughs> But I tell people on the front end, no one's leaving me because I'm not working on Friday afternoons because they know that I'm working yeah. the rest of the time. Um, but either way, that kind of full circle, you are the CEO of your business. You need to think about it that way. The CEO doesn't do the $7 an hour job. Okay, and that's so really difficult to kind of You around. verge on almost sounding elitist to some ears. 
mine, I, I came up, so listeners here will know that I came up in sort of a blue collar world. You know, I was a construction yeah. worker. And so there's this sort of American sort of grassroots yeah. feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be too proud yeah. to sweep the floor or take out the trash. But it's been a bit of a hard education for me as I've gone and sort of, I didn't go to school for business. I've kind of learned it along the way. And I'm in, almost embarrassed to ask when you like adopted a CEO mindset, because you probably did it like way younger than I did <laughs> to your credit. Uh, Cause it took me a long time to get it through my head that you're right. There is a great benefit in delegating because it's really not about an elitist attitude or I'm not, I'm above that. It's about where's the best use of my time, right? Gary Keller's classic one thing. What's the one thing yes. that you're good at? Do that, do the thing that only you can do mm -hmm. and delegate the rest. Yeah. And once you begin to set up those automations systems, delegation, delegation, then everything starts to fall into place and your time is much better spent. Um, when you don't have a lot of money early on, what is one thing that you feel like you can offload that can make a big difference in your business, but buys you that time back? Yeah. Okay. So another, a really good example of this is I'm going to talk about my team as a whole here is I recommend a lender. I have two lenders that I use, but each individual client that I work with gets one lender. This is the lender I recommend. Mm. I work with them all the time. Options, yeah. But I don't know. I don't give them an option. I say, this is the but lender. You have options for different types of transactions. Correct. Correct. Yeah, beautiful. But they are, but but my client doesn't see the options. I, it's a decision I make because I'm the professional. Right. They, with anything regarding money, I have offloaded this where they talk, you know, hey, well, should I do this? And should I move the money around? And should, what, what is this? What am I pre-approved for? I'm like, I know the very baseline level of this. You need to speak to lender. All of the lending stuff that is can be entirely handled by them. They are the professional. They are the expert in this realm. I, my job is not to 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 figure out what your loan will be and how much it'll be per month. Like you, this conversation needs to be entirely handled mm. by this other person. So I, at the beginning, you think, you think that you need to be the expert in all realms, and actually, you need to stay in your lane. That is probably one of the biggest things. Is my job is to get the best deal for you in this real estate transaction of that you want to have. Um, but my job isn't to kind of advise you on finances or advise you on inspections or advise you on insurance. Like I, I know very little about all of that stuff, but yeah. I have the best team in place to kind of handle it. I want to dig into that because I think this is one of those kind of hard conversations that isn't really taking place in real estate. And you go to real estate school, you take your, take your test, you get your license, but no one's really talking about this concept of well, what is my day-to-day -day supposed to look like? I like that you drew out this concept that delegating early on in, a, in your time, in your career, doesn't look like hiring someone and spending money. It looks like taking the partners that you already are needing to get to the end of the transaction and not only empowering them just to do their job, but mentally offloading that mm -hmm. from yourself, not giving that time that effectively isn't as useful, it's getting that time back mm -hmm. to spend on something else. But this idea that you're not taught how to operate, how to think, you know, I don't know if you could teach it, but this concept of, I don't have to be the expert. Oh man, I, I think that this is a really tough issue because um, if we haven't looked around in the last like four decades, real estate has changed and the technological disruption and the actions that a realtor does completely on a day-to-day -day has completely changed. And so I think that there's this subtle, almost unspoken 
I need to make sure that I'm valuable mm-hmm. mentality that's in every new realtor, heck, every realtor for that matter. And this, I have to be valuable makes you do certain actions or mm-hmm. say certain things or, you know, that I'm not sure is entirely always helpful. And so how do we begin to settle into this peaceful mindset of like, I don't have to be the expert, but that doesn't mean I'm not valuable. But then am I ripe for disruption? It's very complex. Mm-hmm. How are you thinking about this? Yeah. So first of all, real estate, back in the day, you had a giant book, the MLS book that had to be updated every day. You, the real estate agent, had the every listing. So you know, Joe Smith on the street who was buying a house had to come to your office to look at the available listings. And then you would go and you'd have to drive to a separate office to get the key to the specific listing. Your day-to-day business was a completely different world. I mean, you didn't have, there was no internet, obviously, but the MLS book would have to be updated daily, et cetera. So yes, it's completely changed. Now, where your value is, and this, the beginning of it is experience. You have to know where and have those conversations. So you need to be doing open houses, doing all these different things to have the conversations to see where you can meet your clients where they are, is my opinion. Because I think it's really difficult to know what the value is until you have 100 people ask you these same questions where you're like, that's what that value is. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, this this is something that's pretty... It goes throughout any business. Look at your peers. See what they're doing, and you need to copy them in your authentic way. So don't copy them identically. Please don't. (laughs) But copy them in a way, say they're doing this system. They have this system, and their clients love it. You can replicate a system like that relatively easily and put it in your own way. I mean, um, so so where does value come into play? It's kind of an abstract idea today in totally. real estate because we don't provide the listings. They can go to Zillow, Redfin, whatever place, get a sponsorship from one of those places, but <laughs> they provide all of the listings. Mm. So you, your relationship with the person is the was where the value starts and ends. If they don't, ha- if they don't, I, I, I say this often. If they don't know, like, and hopefully trust you. Right. They are not going to use you. I mean, no like, and trust. Those are the three kind of levels of the funnel, right? If they have all three, there's a good chance they'll use you. If they just know who you are, I mean, you're talking about like a 5% conversion rate. But if they know and like you, maybe it's a 40% conversion rate. No like, and trust, 65 70% conversion rate. So my entire philosophy of providing value is to start with that. And then at a bare minimum, they know, like, and trust me. And then I can build a business around taking care of those people. I mean, oh my gosh, so many truth bombs just then, just now were dropped. So, uh, for all of you listening, go ahead and rewind. Um, I heard a funnel of relationship. Mm -hmm. That's a really good concept. You got to start by getting yourself out there. So people know you absolutely. And then you got to start creating opportunities for interaction so Mm -hmm. that they like you. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to show a certain level of experience, knowledge, or willingness to go work on their behalf that creates a trust quotient. So yeah, that funnel of relationship, that is basically the recipe right there. Hey everybody, it's Jake, director for the Business of Homes podcast. I hope you've been enjoying today's episode, starting with Zach's outlook that change is always an opportunity for growth, the value of adopting a CEO mindset, and how it can be destructive 
to try and be the expert in all aspects of your real estate business. When we return, Michael and Zach dive into how real estate has shifted into a service industry, the importance of continuing education, and how to place yourself in the top 5% of agents. You don't want to miss it. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Business of Homes Pod, where you can interact with us and see some great bite-sized pieces from all of our episodes. For you listeners out there, did you know our entire podcasts are filmed and are on our YouTube channel? Check it out next time you want to see our amazing guests tell their stories. And are you currently watching this episode in video format? Don't forget to follow us on your preferred audio streaming service to take us with you on the go. Lastly, do you have any feedback or want to suggest someone for the show? Email us at thebusinessofhomespodcast at gmail.com. Please enjoy the rest of today's episode with Zach Brickner. Let's get back to it. And then the other one you said was um, that the value is not intrinsic, mm-hmm. meaning it's not the same way every time in a transaction, but that it has a high level of variable value based on the type of person that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really big one. So are we asking our buyers or our sellers some sort of pat set of question, like a questionnaire to dig out of them how I can better serve you? So yes and no. I think each client is different. I, I like to think of it is that we're in a service industry now. We are, we are not the gatekeepers for the houses. Mm-hmm. We are providing a service. And the service is what is, is in, almost entirely important. Because if they have a bad experience, if they have a bad experience at a restaurant, you're not going anywhere. I, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it can kind of apply through. Um, so th- with regards to questions asked, I think... This goes back to the process system. When I sit down with a buyer, when I sit down with a seller, I ask all of the same questions, but they are asked almost entirely different depending on the personality. Totally. Because sometimes people want to sit down and have the first meeting where I put a, a list in front of them. Every question, we fill the blanks and we can move on from there. Some people t- send me five houses and we have a conversation on the phone about what they're looking for. Mm. It... it it can be molded. Everybody's business is different, um, but the process, the, the, the same system remains the same is that I do learn these things. It's just a matter of a, it's an in-person meeting, if it's over coffee, if it's over drinks, if it's a phone call before we go see houses. It can change every time, and being flexible is important um, because, once again, it all comes down. I, your real estate is not selling houses. Real estate is selling yourself, and you have to be, um, you have to be flexible and be a good kind of servant for them. Okay, so we talk about this paradigm changing, and I feel like you've been someone that has been attempting to wave the flag and say, it's changing, mm-hmm. and the audience is changing, and that you are someone who's trying to position yourself as wanting to be participating in that change, participating in that conversation. Okay, so you have, an, uh, I use this phrase, an increasingly younger buyer mm-hmm. who have a different set of needs mm-hmm. than buyers from... 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50, 60 years ago, whatever. And so if we are looking for the value of what a younger buyer is looking for, you know, classically, they're calling you with the houses, right? Instead of you telling them about the houses, (laughs) right? So what are some of these things that these younger buyers are needing out of their real estate agent that is identifiably different than maybe what things were 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Sure. Um, I want to start by saying big picture, the, 
you have to address people's fears and 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 different generations, different buyers, different sellers have fears. The biggest fear with a buyer today, the the two biggest fears really is they don't want to miss anything and they don't want to overpay. Those are their two concerns that you have to address almost immediately. Now, when you're addressing they're going to miss anything, that's relatively, you can sit down and explain that here's where all the listings are. You're seeing a vast majority of them. I have some that are in-house that I'll tell you about. There's new construction. There's for sale by owner. There's a million of these things. You basically walk them through. Here's what all the houses are. And they're like, okay, well, that kind of fear is solved. I shouldn't miss anything. The next one is the... Um, is the fear of overpaying. And you're like, I have 10 years now of experience where I've done these negotiations from time to time. I know exactly how to do this, and I will walk you through every single scenario. So the fear maybe that the Gen Z is, is it's funny, well, currently statistically, millennials and Gen Zs are behind, lagging behind their previous generations in home ownership. So Fewer and far. It's almost like the world has been really hard around us you know, I, for the last couple decades man, or something. Millennials aren't the scapegoat for everybody's <laughs> problems. I, you know, that's, um, we don't have to even get that deep or into maybe millennials. maybe they have been the receivers of a hard world, perhaps. It's, we talk about a participation trophy world, and I'm like, who is giving out those participation trophies? Yes. The people who are complaining about the millennials. So we're, we're not that's all go down I that road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't go too deep there. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, what are their concerns? I think one of the biggest concerns is they feel like they've not been taught. The, the pathway. When I got into real estate, I sat down with a, a good friend of mine, Christy Wilson, and she explained how real estate worked. I was 21 years old, and I had never understood how commissions work, how title insurance is, what an inspection is. I knew I'd been through, I mean, how many years, went to graduate in college, and had never understood how a real estate, tra- a real estate transaction occurs. Who gets paid? How people get paid? How a loan works? I, I knew... Talk about like financial literacy. I knew nothing. And so I really feel that the generation millennials and then the generation after us, they just don't know. You're only given houses on Selling Sunset and you see a $5 million, you know, beautiful house and it gets sold and here's the commission. Great. And, but there's no explanation. It's like a, it's what they always talk about. We, we were never taught taxes or how to write checks. Accounting, But yeah. I feel like real estate is a very similar kind totally. of proposition there. Investing, financial education. Yeah, well, it's, it's very poor. Rate. Yeah. There's, you have to be really in... That's why you see so many people who are repeating real estate as like a family tree thing. Like it's their mother and their grandmother, right. et cetera. Because they, they know. They know. Yeah. And they're like, this job's pretty great if you do well at it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just... Okay, so I feel like you heard it here, folks. One of the biggest and easiest ways, if you are getting into real estate or early in your career, to get ahead is to push education. Mm -hmm. Education of uh, your outer sphere will bring them closer to you. Mm -hmm. Education of your inner sphere will create trust because it shows a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about education and knowledge is it's totally irrespective of age. You know, I actually struggled with that early in my career. When I got in um, to this real estate sort of related business in Middle Tennessee, I was skewing younger than all my counterparts. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely like you was that like, what's this guy? know? he can't possibly have seen very many houses, you know, <laughs> yes. blah, blah, blah. And so I just went hard into the books. Mm-hmm. You know, I used the Internet and all of the available inter- information around us to sort of really go hard mm-hmm. um, into the information. And in that, I was able to build trust, yeah. just like what you're talking about, because people said, oh, he might be young, but he can spit that game just as good as anyone else. And so for a relatively younger audience, 
education is the way in. It's got to be. It's it's where I started. So once again, when I was 22 in real estate, I can't believe anybody trusted me. <laughs> but the same barrier, speed bump, whatever you want to call it, continually came up that I wasn't experienced enough. I was too young. I wasn't the expert in the field. So I made it a point that I was going to solve that problem before they would ask it because they Ooh, asked it so many times. Love it. Um, there's, there's a saying to the, like, solve it before they think it, et cetera. But yeah. that's kind of the, the idea. So I, every opportunity when I wasn't busy, I was getting additional credit hours. I was getting, uh, designations from the National Associate of Realtors. I think I've got four or five. And it's funny, I remember starting and seeing this be like, who, why do they do through all, you know, go all, all the way to get all five of these. And it's like, I just wanted to have letters behind my name. Cause I remember doctors had letters behind their oh, name yeah. and I felt like they were, it feels good. It feels good. Um, I'm not sure it's super useful, but it feels good. Yeah, I'm not sure it's super <laughs> useful, but it feels great. So my whole thing was when they say, I'm not sure that you are, you know, you don't, I don't know if you have the experience. And I'm like, well, I actually, like, I'm actually a broker. So I actually got a, my broker's license. Like, what level of education is the other agent that you're interviewing? And they'd be like, well, I, we didn't have the conversation. And I'm like, interesting that you're, so you're not concerned about how educated your, you know, your oh. agent is. And they'd be, you know, kind of taken aback. Drop I, the mic. Yeah. I mean, I just, I wanted to be, the most educated. I wanted to be the furthest along with my licensing. I wanted to be in a position where that question, that question of experience, or if I knew what I was doing, it was infallible that I was the most experienced or knew the most. Mm. Um, and that truly was, that's effort. I mean, that's kind of, it's being intentional about getting those things. Effort. And it's, you know, we live in such a quick twitch world. And I look at the pathway that I took. And there are times in year four and a half that you're like questioning it. And that's fine. Yeah. But just remember that that consistency and effort over the long haul is really where you see the results after 10 years. I mean, mm. we got into the business right around the same time. That's right. You probably had the same thing where they're like, is it, do I pivot? Do I look at a different thing? Yeah. Like, but it's, it's the, the time and the effort and still going to the office when you're miserable in a down year to do the same work that you've been doing because you know that it produces those results. Consistency is king. It is. Um, so there's this idea. Uh, th actually, this is a call to arms. I mean, if you really think about it, this is a call to arms to all of our listeners because I'm not sure people are always willing to put the work in. And I, I see a lot of folks doing real estate because it feels good or it feels easy for a time. And it's not always going to feel like those things. And so this is a bit of a call to arms that for an increasingly younger buyer to acquire them as a client and to remain relevant in a changing landscape full of tech disruption you really got to go and get that education and chock full so that you are ready to build that trust with other people. So, I mean, uh, this is a call to arms. People got to go do the work. Mm -hmm. it, you can't get around it. There's no easy shortcut. There is nothing great was achieved without a little bit of sacrifice. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things I tell my agents too when I'm interviewing them is Real estate is incredibly easy. It's a low barrier of entry. It's amazing. Lenders, you know, they're not even lenders, but appraisers have years of uh, infancy where they're under someone and all these hours and real estate, you take two weeks of class, you got a GED or a high school diploma and you're a real estate agent. It's wild. What real estate agents should always be trying to do if they're trying to be successful in this world is try to be the top 5%. And it's not that hard. It's actually really easy. You hmm. can do five things and it makes it sets you apart from that many real estate agents because there's so many. Um, and so I'm always trying to kind of impart that wisdom of like, what are the things that set people apart? Um, 
because you have to differentiate yourself in a market. Um, one thing, you know, we talk about the information era. I don't think it's the information era, it's the noise era. You're hearing noise way more than you are hearing information necessarily. Totally. Now. Um, but when you sit down and you have that conversation, you're like, here are five things that you can do on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis, all these different kind of, you know, benchmarks that'll set you apart. And some people still look at me and say, ah, you know, I haven't, I don't, like, is that really going to make a difference? Well, that sounds kind of difficult. Yeah, it is. Like, it's, it's, this is a job. You, you didn't wake up and sell ten million. I mean, it's just not going to happen that way. So, yeah, um, it's yeah. You're always trying to overcome that, and it's you're trying to separate kind of like the real real estate agents, the ones that are going to be successful, and the ones that watched a little, you know, love it or list it, and really loved that show. And <laughs> it's you know, it is it's so part of it. You've worked these ten years. Mm-hmm. You've worked all sorts of different transactions. You've been a different real estate agent at different times of your career. Success is something we talk about on this podcast a lot because different people define it differently. Success could look like time freedom, or it could look like money, or it could look like um, just your reach, how well known you are. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you defining success today? Because I, I know it will change and has changed, but how are you defining success today? Success is something that is, it is, you're right, it, it changes. Um, the biggest thing for me is that I care so much about my flexibility. I want to have as many options and as many doors open at any given time. And I want to be able to decide I, I want to write a book, decide I want to travel for two months, decide I want, I want the ability to to retire at 45 if I really want to retire at 45. That is truly success to me. And it's so it's more of a time thing than it is money. Money matters to me, but it matters as a means to doing things that I want to do. To give you the time back. To give me the time back. I you know, if I, I if I accumulated X number of dollars, I would never need two times X, if that makes sense. I would I don't need more money matters less if it it's kind of law of diminishing returns at some some right. point. I don't need a bigger yacht. I don't. I don't have a yacht, by the way. But, um, <laughs> but that's that's never mattered to me. But what has mattered to me, it, it, this is a funny story. So I got really bad grades one semester in college, Uh-oh. and it was it was bad. It was it was not. Let's put it. It was a little lower than C. I wouldn't graduate with these grades. Okay. And I came home, and my parents were were livid with me. Uh, and I I sat down. We had this conversation. You know, is school is school right for me, et cetera. I said, all I care about is I don't want you guys to bother me anymore. And they said, if you get a 3.5 I think or a 3.0, we will never bother you. I said, done. I can do a 3. I never got below a 3.0 for any. It was like six more semesters that I had in college. So I say flexibility. Maybe I just don't want people to bother me. <laughs> the leave me alone motivation. It is the leave me alone motivation. And now, you know, when people don't fulfill what they say they're going to do, you have to bother them to do the things they say they're going to do. Yeah. I just do what I, I don't bother me about it. And I'll get it done. Like that's my yeah. thing. I don't know. Don't bother me. <laughs> yeah. This idea of recapturing time. I think there's probably a lot of people that have entered into some sort of entrepreneurial um, sort of stance or business because we're seeking that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an important piece of it to figure out how to balance. You can't stop working mm-hmm. and get the time back that way. You have to, build up your sphere. You have to build your automation to sort of recapture that time. But I got to tell you, my own personal experience, I have had a vision of automation and a vision of, of time freedom over and over in the last 12 years. 
And it always seems to be just slipping out of my fingers <laughs> as I sort of complicate my world um, on a yearly basis. And so it's difficult. It Sometimes it feels like a mirage that I'm always going after. And yet I am going uh, to do some travel this this year so that uh, hopefully maybe we'll prove out that I do have some time freedom. We'll have to see how that works. And uh, I want to give you a quick second to talk about the book that you referenced. I think uh, when the rest of us were baking bread and building <laughs> things in our backyards during the pandemic, you were doing something else. Yeah. Uh, so I, the, I'm going to start out by saying one of the things that I love to do is I love to stretch myself and put myself in uncomfortable positions to grow. I think if you're, if you're sitting still, I think that's kind of a sign that you're getting yourself comfortable. And I don't feel like that growth or that reaching that next plateau or however you kind of define success. If you're sitting still, you're not kind of moving towards that next plateau. So during COVID, I quit all networking activities. I decided that everyone sort of did. So it was an easy decision. And I wanted to write a book. Uh, I never had written a book. I don't know how to write a book. I don't know where to start, write a book. I don't know who to talk to. I knew nothing. But I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on the real estate transaction and how to be a real estate agent. So I sat down. I ended up meeting with, there was a couple different platforms, a couple different ways. But basically, you can either self-publish and have somebody write it for you, or you can write it yourself and then give it to somebody who will publish it and put it in all the right places in Amazon, et cetera. So I sat down and I did it. It took about a year and a half. Uh, and it was, it really stretched me to a point of writing 110 pages, I think it is, single spaced or what, I, I don't even remember what the numbers are because I've sort of done a, it's a, a brain report flush. you ever wrote. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I say it's a great experience. I'm, it's the feeling of having something that you've created that you can put your hands on is mm. a great experience. And the work put in was all worth it. Am I going to write another book anytime soon? Probably not. Do I advise people? I'm like, it was a wonderful, I was totally out of my comfort zone. And that's, that's what motivated me. Uh, and some, everybody's motivated different, but yeah. that was something that really, uh, really, really drove it home for me. So it took me about a year and a half. I wrote the content and then had someone publish it. But yeah, Amazon, it's in a couple bookstores, but it's the Millennial's Guide to Real Estate. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely encourage folks to check that out. It's um, less a narrative and more a how-to. And I think there's a lot of benefit in that, particularly for a younger audience that's kind of driving for that um, that heavy bullet point detail. It's education. Like we talked about very early on, it's education. It is, if you guys have seen the Yellow Dummies Guides too, it is the effectively that, but it's the Millennials Guide to Amazing. Real Estate. Amazing. That's good. Um, Zach, thank you so much. Really excited to have you as a friend and colleague and glad to have you here on the podcast today. And... Uh, We'll catch you later. Yeah, I appreciate you having me here and thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey everyone, Jake again, director for the Business of Homes podcast. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode. A huge thank you to Zach Brickner for being a part of the podcast. Go follow him on Instagram at Z underscore Brick Squad and let him know how much you enjoyed his story. Check out the show notes of this episode to learn more and read Zach's book, Millennial's Guide to Real Estate. Don't forget to subscribe on your preferred listening platform and make sure to follow us on Instagram as well at the Business of Homes Pod. Do you have any feedback or want to suggest someone for the show? Email us at thebusinessofhomespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you soon.